Hello and welcome to Special Issue, Wiley's podcast about society publishing. I'm Anna Ayler. This month we're dipping into a great presentation at the 2019 Wiley Society Executive Seminar in London, which was given by Rita Clifton. Rita is a speaker, writer, and practitioner in all things brands, branding, and business leadership, and she talked about the fact that brand sometimes gets a bad name, but that it's time for us to get over the myths and recognize how important branding is for any organization, no matter what field you're in or how big your marketing budget is. And that's because brand is a constant. Business models change, people come and go, but a strong brand can see you through all of that. Learned societies often have long histories, which can be a strength in that the brand is very established, but a potential disadvantage in that they may not be seen by their communities to be changing with the times. The brand might still stand for quality, but it could be a bit stuck. If you suspect you're stuck, or if you're not sure about this whole brand thing but feel ready to be convinced, this episode is for you. Here's Rita. I was at a conference once. Um, the people before me, they were on a panel, it was talking about the short-term prospects of markets and things like that. The room was packed. It was standing room only. And then the chairman of the conference stood up and said, and our next speaker is going to talk about the value of branding in financial services. And I'm not joking, about a third of the people got up and walked out. I hadn't opened my mouth, I hadn't said anything. But of course, what they thought was, well, you know, that brand thing, that's for our marketing department, or that's for people who've got big, fat advertising budgets. Well, just a couple of things I might mention uh, about that. Um, Firstly, is that even if you've got big, fat marketing budgets, if you're a rubbish business in the first place, it doesn't work. And the second thing is that actually, even if you're a small business, a niche business, a specialist business, then if you don't have lots of money to spend on marketing, what that means is every other aspect of your brand experience and your employee experience and all the, all the interest and the expertise and the passion that you can get around that, all those things matter uh, even more. Because the brand is the most important and sustainable asset any organization has got. Whether it's non-profit, it's commercial, it's private, it's corporate, it's retail, whatever, even from a personal point of view, it is the most important and sustainable asset. Some organizations I work with, they, they say, you know, we prefer the word reputation because somehow it sounds more dignified, you know, more elegant. Brand is a bit more commercial, but the truth is you don't own your reputation. Your reputation is, your, is the outcome in people's perceptions, their minds, their thoughts. It's the outcome of what you are doing. Your brand is the organizing idea that gets you a better or a worse reputation. Because reputation is reality with a lag effect. And what that means is you use your brand and the thinking about your brand to organize a better reality that then spills into the outside world. The second thing, of course, is, and I don't know whether you find this in your own organizations, but there can be this slight barrier to the brand world, that somehow it's a bit vulgar, it belongs to the commercial world. But again, I come back to the thing, that is the thing that you own. Whatever you're called, whether it's a non-profit society or whether or not it's a commercial venture, the brand is the asset, you legally own it, and also you own it from an operational point of view as well. I'm sure you recognize this gentleman here. This is Warren Buffett, 
who was the world's most successful and least sentimental investor. And that conference I mentioned earlier on, he was speaking uh, at that conference too. He had a little bit more success than I did, I have to say, because he was asked by a whole range of investors, how did he decide on those businesses that he was going to invest in? What were the criteria? And number three, he set a strong balance sheet. And number two, he set a strong management team. And number one, he said brand. Because he knows that's the thing that's going to generate sustainable value. That gives you boringly reliable returns over the long term. So people die, buildings, offices, they fall down. Products and services become obsolete. We all know that. Business models change. But the thing that lives on if you look after it properly, and that means everybody in every one of your organizations, the thing that lives on if you look after it properly is your brand. There are three characteristics that, that drive any valuable brand of any size, from startups to professional organizations, global corporations. Number one is clarity of what you stand for. How are you, what are you for? How do you express that really clearly in a way that you can keep a straight face? What clarity are you in a way that's different from any of the other organizations you deal with? Secondly, how does that show up in a coherent way through everything you do? The way you answer the phone, the way you serve people, the way you present yourself, you know, the people that you have who are representing you, how does that coherence show up? Leadership is obviously about who runs the organization, how you epitomize all the very best values of that organization, or if you're advising the chief executive to stop them from being an idiot. So it obviously does matter about what you're signaling and what you're saying if you're in charge, but in leadership is also about restlessness, it's about innovation, it's about setting the agenda, it's about making sure you're on top of disruption, doing creative disruption, creative destruction, before you can then do future construction in its own right. And Apple, one of the reasons why Apple is the most overused case study in the universe is because it does absolutely obey these three characteristics. So it's very clear about what it stands for. Man shall not be subordinate to machines about doing things differently, humanizing technology. It makes that show up through everything they do. And also, I'm sure you've been into Apple stores and people and, people and behaviors, but they reposition nerds as geniuses in Apple stores because they wanted to present the people in stores as being very good at explaining the technology and enabling you to use it. They're very cool. Uh, everything is very nicely designed. They don't look like shops. They look like places to hang out and places to have experiences. And of course, what's very interesting is they train and hardwire this stuff into their people. It's not just loosey-goosey. This is about training empathy in Apple stores because that's what they know will really work to connect them with other human beings because they're trying to humanize uh, the scope and uh, ability of technology. And now, of course, they're not just satisfied with being a commercial brand. You know, they want to bring Today at Apple. I don't know whether you've been to a Today at Apple session, but these are sessions in Apple stores that are like the modern-day town square. That's what they're trying to be. 
They bring together people who are interested in the liberal arts. They teach them how to do video, photography, writing, and so on. You know, these are places to be, to wrap yourself around your clients, wrap yourself around your customers. And this, of course, is a great model for how you really build long-term long -term relationships. And, of course, Apple do Apple education. So many of the new paradigm businesses are desperate to get in to, well, you know, long-term learning, lifelong learning, uh, packaging up information and everything else. And, of course, their leader, who was St. Steve of Jobs, absolutely epitomized the Apple brand. Cool, efficient. He was incredibly good at talking about it. Contrast him with who used to be the leader of Microsoft. Have you ever seen Steve Ballmer? I noticed he was quoted earlier. Steve Ballmer, who used to run Microsoft, he was the CEO. He used to run on stage, punching the air and kicking ass and, and everything else. He looked like he was going to have a heart attack, frankly. It was like a bomb going off. But that was a bit like the Microsoft brand, because Microsoft, I don't even remember, had lots of bits. It was a sales-based, not a brand-based organization. Had lots of bits that were all sort of treading on each other's toes and quite fragmented. And what they tried to do was firstly tidy it up a bit, make the logos look a little bit more similar. But of course, the substance that lay beneath was still very, very fragmented, as opposed to making the very most uh, of the assets. And what's really interesting now, Satya Nadella, who has been the chief executive since 2014, he has doubled the market capitalization of Microsoft. And the way he's done that is by coming back to a core one Microsoft philosophy. He has tried to make sure that people feel a strong sense of purpose being with Microsoft per se, not as part of the bits. So what their purpose is, is about how to help every individual, every business to achieve more. I think that sounds quite similar to many of the other things we're all trying to do here. But nevertheless, that pivot, they've gone from being a software-based fragmented organization to being a more holistic cloud-based services organization, and they doubled their market capitalization. I think this helps us all ask questions, serious questions about ourselves and our organizations, which is how do we make money? How do we get more influence from what we know, not necessarily what we've already done? Because there is so much embedded knowledge in organizations, just as there was in an organization like Microsoft. I think Amazon is the most extraordinary organization, as we all know. Of course, what's really interesting is that they recognize what it is that consumers, their customers want, and they really don't half give it to them. So efficient delivery, you know, everything everywhere, stuff happens, it's extraordinary, and of course the tone of voice and the customer experience is very good at a very functional level. And why is that? Well, they've got a really clear idea. Def Bezos, a very clear idea about we're going to be the Earth's most customer-centric organization. It's everybody's job to do that, and that's what he talks to his people about. They're very, very focused on the customer, possibly less so than on employees and some of those other practices. Um, however, a lot of people absolutely love working at Amazon. And the final thing is, what you do is really important, which has a huge advantage when it comes to recruiting the right people. I don't know about you, I hate the staff, the employees, as though somehow people are a third-party blob with no feelings that you just observe. Now, people, we recruit people. People need to love what they do. They need to believe in what they do, just in the same way that clients and customers and funders and so on need to love what you do too. Purpose-led businesses 
work better than others, and you all represent the most extraordinary organizations with a deep sense of purpose. My question is, do you capture that in a way that really does motivate your people and that can, can translate simply into a what does that mean I do that's going to propel the organization, get better support, better funding, better academics, better researchers on a Monday morning? So I'm going to leave you with that thought, with those challenges, which is, how clear are you about what you do, and how, how do you express that? And then how does that show up in everything you do across your funder, your researcher, your client, your employee experience? And how does that really flow consistently? And of course, how are you symbolizing, if you're chief executive, how are you symbolizing all the very best of what your organization does? How do you become a thought leader on a very high platform to do that? And also, how are, how are you innovating and how are you being restless in setting the agenda? And at that, I'm going to shut up and thank you for listening. Rita's three ingredients for a strong brand, having a clear message, making sure that it comes through in everything that you do, and for leadership to embody that message. Sounds simple enough, but of course can be really, really difficult to do in practice. The beauty of those principles, though, is that really anyone can do it if they decide it's a priority. You don't need a lot of resources to decide on a clear message. And if you've already got a message, it's worth making sure that it's coming through to the people that you want to hear it. To help make that a bit easier, we've put together a toolkit of marketing materials for societies with email templates, best practices, and guidelines to help you focus on the message, not the materials. You can find that at secure.wiley.com slash member marketing toolkit. That's it for this episode. Thanks again for listening, and I hope you'll join us next time. For Wiley, I'm Anna Ayler, and you can find more episodes and learn when new episodes are released by subscribing in iTunes or wherever you like to listen. You can get more news and information on society publishing from Wiley on Twitter by following us at Wiley Societies and on our website, wiley.com slash network slash society leaders. Our theme music was produced by Medine, and this episode was edited by Dennis Velasco. Thanks for listening.